Hi, I'm Mark Roderman. Coming up, the state Senate moves their budget forward, a game changer in college sports, and President Biden stops by Raleigh. Next. Major funding for Front Row is provided by Robert L. Luddy. Additional funding provided by... Funding for the lightning round provided by NC Realtors, State Employees Association of North Carolina, Mary Louise and John Burris, Reifenberg Construction, Stefan Gleason, and Jane and Van Hip. A complete list of funders can be found at pbsnc.org slash front row. It's Front Row with host Mark Rotterman. Welcome back. Join the conversation, Mitch Kokai with the John Locke Foundation. Morgan Jackson, Chief Political Strategist for Governor Roy Cooper, Political Analyst Joe Stewart, and Nelson Dollar, Senior Advisor to North Carolina Speaker of the House. Mitch, why don't we begin with the state Senate's budget? Fill us in. Now that the House and Senate have agreed on their top line numbers for the next two years, we're starting to see details, lots of details, a 427-page budget bill from the Senate, and it has the $25.7 billion in, uh, $25.7 billion in general fund spending in the first year, $26.6 billion the second year. It also allocates about $5 billion from federal coronavirus relief funds. Uh, this, of course, comes after People on all sides of the debate learned that North Carolina had about an extra $6 billion that wasn't expected. The Senate, in putting forward its plan, said it was emphasizing a couple of things. The first, tax cuts. The other, infrastructure. On tax cuts, the personal rate would drop from 5.25% today immediately to 4.99% and eventually to 3.99%. would phase out the corporate income tax rate by 2028. On the infrastructure side, as opposed to a plan to put forward a bond package, which the governor would like, the Senate wants to put money into the state capital and infrastructure fund and have $3 billion available over the next two years for infrastructure projects, $12 billion over 10 years. Uh, it's an alternative to the bond. There's also uh, more money into the savings reserves, raises, 3% raises basically for almost everyone except 7% raises for correction officers, plus a bonus of $1,500 or $1,000, depending on your salary level, extra bonus for teachers, and even larger bonus for principals. Plus, the other thing that's in here, because it's such a large budget, it has a lot of policy issues, including some things we know the governor won't like, about the reining in emergency powers, reining in the attorney general's ability to have these, what are sometimes called collusive lawsuit settlements, taking away some investigative powers from the okay. state board of elections. So a lot of stuff in this budget. It passed 32 to 18, with four Democrats going along with all the Republicans. Morgan, you have the floor. So I think it's always it's always helpful to remember that budgets are about priorities. It's about stating your priorities. Uh, North Carolina has a historic amount of money right now due to federal money. That's one-time federal money due to, as Mitch discussed, a lot of recurring revenue in the state that we weren't expecting, billions of dollars. And I think we have a historic opportunity to make serious investments in our future. The challenge with this budget is that in, instead of taking that route, instead of really taking on some historic investments in education, expanding access to health care, and making some critical long-term investments that we haven't been able to make for years because we haven't had the money, the state Senate is mortgaging our future by giving $14 billion in tax cuts. You view it as an opening bid? Uh, I hope it's an opening bid because it's certainly, if it's the final bid, it, it's, it's not going to be accepted. But you got to remember okay. $14 billion, $14 billion with a B in tax cuts, over 75% of those 
uh, go to people who make over $200,000 a year in big corporations. Like, that's a bad priority. Okay. Where, where are our teacher pay raises? Mitch talked about those. A point and a half is like, that's not even cost no, of so living. get in here. Well, the Senate doesn't pass a budget, it passes a bargaining position. And after a decade of negotiations, you know, Republicans in the Senate and the House know each other very well, and it's very easy to see where the priorities are. Obviously, lower taxes, savings, infrastructure, a lot of basics um, for long-term success in the state of North Carolina, which we've enjoyed a considerable amount over the last uh, decade that we've been in, in charge. And also internally what they did was they took a lot of the smaller funding issues off the table to actually make it easier to negotiate between the House and the Senate, and that's greatly appreciated. Of course, Senator Berger uh, knows the budget very well. Uh, he's very well versed on uh, education policy. Speaker Moore is also a veteran leader in budget negotiations, and I think that when we arrive in conference um, in August, uh, we'll be able to pull together a budget in short order. Joe, wrap this up in about 30 seconds. Yeah, the thing that's most interesting to me, as Mitch alluded to, the Senate version of the budget brought four Democrats along. We'll have to see if a similar number of Democrats are willing to come over to the Republican position on the House. Republicans control the General Assembly, but they don't have the numbers large enough to override a gubernatorial veto just on a party-line vote. If they hope to get a budget passed, the Republicans need some Democrats willing to stand up to the governor if the governor vetoes the budget so that we can get something in place for the state. Okay, we need to move on. There was an interesting Supreme Court ruling on college sports this week. Fill us in. Yes, Mark. Three issues unite Washington, China, big tech, and the NCAA. And this, uh, <laughs> this week it was the Supreme Court's turn to take the NCAA to school. In a unanimous decision, the justices really hammered away at the NCAA's treatment of college athletes. This case will make it easier for those athletes to receive really a very broad range of educational-related benefits, maybe even recruitment benefits. All of the justices basically piled on the NCAA's hypocrisy. And for example, Justice Thomas pointed out that in 39 states, it's the college coach who's actually the highest paid state employee. College uh, athletics, so the NCAA, their members, it's a $19 billion uh, a year industry and the financial support for athletes really only accounts for about 20% of that. Uh, this is just the beginning. The NCAA will either reform itself or it may find itself out of the game in the future. Well, big time college sports, don't you think, uh, uh, Joe, is really just a farm team for the pros? Well, it's become that. You know, and interestingly enough, the famous basketball coach at Carolina, Dean Smith, once said of collegiate athletics, it's like the front porch of a house. The most conspicuous part, but the least important structurally. But it has become big business, and the challenge is the multipliers of millions now are being felt in the pocketbook of coaches. Even the head of the NCAA, Mark Emmert, makes $4 million a year off of this. The, the challenge is, and interestingly enough in the history, where there have been disputes between what are classified as student athletes and their institutions is over issues of workers' compensation, where the player actually gets hurt in the performance of the sporting endeavor. The question is, who's responsible for that expense to that individual? student athlete. I think the time has long come for us to figure out a way some significant part of this money comes from television rights. That's not going to change. It's still going to be big bucks. It's time for these young men and women to get some of the economic benefit for their participation in these point. sports. But, uh, do you think, Morgan, these kids will get direct payments? Well, it, it, first of all, I'm going back to school because, you know, as you all know, I'm a serious athlete. Uh, all, your all my eligibility is out. I've redshirted for four years. Uh, 
in underwater basket weaving. So I don't, I'm not sure that's going to give me things. I think, you know, I, I think the Nelson's point is, and, and Joe's are, are very valid. And, you know, obviously this opens the door for educational, um, some sort of incentives. But the real question to me is, what are they going to do with the name, I image, and likeness? So in October, I think it was in, in 2019, the NCAA said that, they can that they can figure out a way because you know they mar these schools market these star excuse yeah. me these star athletes right. and make millions and millions of dollars and the question yeah. is how much is your name your image and your likeness worth to an athlete I think that's where we're going to see a patchwork a lot of states are starting that discussion now and you've seen some laws I think that are going to right. place in California and others that may come on this but the federal government's going to have to step in or NCAA and set a 50 state guideline because otherwise. You're going to incentivize certain conferences, certain schools, and anyway, I think there's a lot, a lot to be thought out here. But we're headed down the right road for athletes. Mitch, in my opinion. are we headed toward, towards the end of amateur sports? You think? We could be. I mean, it, certainly amateur sports has been in quote uh, scare quotes for a while because it has been very far from the old standard of amateur. To me, the most interesting thing about this ruling is not for the superstar who has to pretend to be in college for a year before going pro. This is for the people who do get injured and never have a pro career, or they're in a smaller sport and they haven't been able to take any money, even though they're never going to make a lot of money on their sport. This is going to be a great ruling for them. Okay, we need to move on. You were in a bubble this week with President Biden. He was in Raleigh. Tell us about it. So President Biden visited Raleigh for the first time yesterday uh, as president since his inauguration. Uh, it certainly was his first visit. It will not be his last. Uh, I think that Biden and Harris will be here enough over the next three years that they'll be able to qualify for in-state tuition at UNC <laughs> by 2024. So uh, he's worried about uh, 2022? Uh, uh, <laughs> he, he's looking forward to carrying to, uh, North Carolina in 2024. <laughs> but he was here yesterday to push vaccines. Uh, he, he and Governor Cooper met with healthcare workers at uh, Green Road uh, Community Center in Raleigh. The big push we're seeing out there is not only do we have a dangerous Delta variant that is out there, but vac vaccinations have slowed across this country uh, as the economy's opened back up, as people are going back to school. In North Carolina, we've got 55% of 18 plus that have been vaccinated. And the president's message yesterday was, get out, get vaccinated. It's, it's the best way to ditch the mask. It's the best way to move forward and keep other folks safe. They also met with a lot of healthcare workers that were that go out into the community and they they kicked off a canvas. And what what's important about that is when you think about the folks that are not vaccinated, now they sort of fall into three buckets. There is the group that is just hadn't gotten around to it. Honestly, they, they're right. working two jobs. It just hadn't been a priority. There's those that are vaccine hesitant and then those that are anti-vax. And I think these can't, these uh, these community canvases are really helpful because they're having individual conversations with people about their reluctance and what can they do to get them vaccinated. And I think that's going to help. The last point I'll make is North Carolina has been very serious about trying to up the vaccine numbers. This week, the first drawing for the million dollar uh, cash drawing. And also there was a drawing for a uh, college scholarship for somebody who's under 18. And so those, I expect they'll be announced in the next few days. But the goal is to incentivize North Carolinians to get vaccinated. Mitch, cases are down in North Carolina though, right? They are down. I think, uh, as Morgan mentioned, the concern among people who are very concerned about getting people vaccinated is the various uh, variants. I think one of the interesting pieces of this is if you really wanted to target the people who aren't vaccinated, 
would you bring in Joe Biden? Is that the best message? My guess is if you broke down politically, the people who aren't vaccinated, they might be more inclined to listen to another messenger than Joe Biden, especially for an event that kind of looked like a campaign stop. Why was Josh Stein there? What does the attorney general and potential 2024 gubernatorial candidate he's have to do? He's pro-vaccination. <laughs> I'm, I'm sure he is. I'm not sure what his official government role is, though. So, you know, I, this is something that is worthy of doing, the president doing. But I'm guessing that a lot of the people who aren't vaccinated look at this and say, is this who I really want telling me to get vaccinated? That's a good point. Are people paying attention, you think, Joe? Well, I think any news is good news in this regard, of trying to encourage people to get vaccinated. And whomever the messenger is, I think Mitch makes a good point relative to President Biden and the population of folks that are not yet vaccinated. So it made headlines and it made a case that uh, it's important to get vaccinated so we can get back to normal. But I think the challenge is that this has become such a hyper-political issue in terms of masks, in terms of vaccines, in terms of the way the state has dealt with the COVID-19 situation here. Here in North Carolina. I'm not even sure, Mitch, who the right messenger would be at this point. It's just going to take, I think, a consistent message over and over. You need to get vaccinated. That's a good point. Well, look, the point of the president's visit was not vaccinations. This is about control of Congress and the 2022 U.S. Senate race. Democrats believed they should have won uh, the last Senate race, except their, their candidate uh, self-destructed. Trump has already picked his nominee Special on the Republican run side. Has run out. <laughs> well, that's right. And, and although, you know, although Biden has not chosen sides in, in this race, his goal is going to, to build a case for the Democrat nominee. And obviously his handling of the pandemic is his strongest issue, particularly with, uh, with uh, older voters. Uh, and this is about his agenda uh, not just about his re-election re in 2024, but his agenda is going to hinge on key Senate races like North Carolina, Georgia, Wisconsin, and Pennsylvania. Okay, I want to change topics one more time, get to Joe here, and that is a new Civitas poll just came out of the field. Yeah, uh, Civitas and the John Locke Foundation now merged, but Civitas continuing to brand its uh, regular polling of the people of the state of North Carolina. Interesting takeaways for me, top line numbers, uh, 56% of the respondents said they feel the country's on the wrong track. So P people feeling still pretty pessimistic about the direction of the country, generally speaking. Interestingly enough, favorable, unfavorable for both President Biden and Governor Cooper, pretty good. Biden just slightly underwater here. Cooper just slightly above water. The generic ballots for both congressional and state legislative races show pretty much an even split between Democrats and Republicans. Interestingly enough, the question I found most interesting, the how, how are you doing by comparison with a year ago? A third of the respondents said they're worse off. And when asked the question, what would be the thing that could help make your situation better? Half of them said tax cuts and tax cuts. And the next number, the next uh, item that they came up with was something else. I mean, tax cuts clearly on the minds of people. Diving down into the cross tabs, when asked that question about the tax reductions in the Senate proposed budget, even people said that they're likely to vote for a Democratic candidate for the legislature. Almost 40% of them said they support the tax cuts. So I think it's clear tax cuts will be a big issue going into the 2022 election. Inflation was an issue in that poll. I think people are going to be worried about kitchen table issues this time. Cost of gas, cost of food. Do you agree with that? I do. I think. I think. Listen. I think inflation is a challenge, and it's something that the country's got to address and keep its eye on. Uh, you know, I always love a good Civitas poll, and I, I think it's 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 always fun to me that you know you can get whatever answer you want as long as you write the right write the right right question. And I think one of the things that was a little concerning about this poll to me was when you asked the question, "Would you like a tax cut, or do you want the state to spend more money?" 
who's going to say they who's going to say they want the state to spend more money? I think a, a, I think a more, I think a more honest question would be. Would you would you prefer, would you want to invest in education? Would you want to ex- increase access to health care, or would you want tax cuts to go to corporations and the wealthy? And I think you're going to have a very different answer uh, to that question. What struck you about the poll, Nelson? Well, it does show that North Carolina is still a right of center state, and uh, also the most significant number. Uh, for Democrats and Republicans as well, is the 92% of respondents that said that consumer prices have increased in the last year, with 60% saying that they had increased a lot. Inflation is going to be a key issue in the 2022 election. Another uh, question that was asked, 64% saying that their personal spending, personally spending more now on consumer goods and services than they were a year ago. So inflation was a major factor back in the 1980 uh, election when Democrats lost 12 Senate seats and President Carter lost his reelection bid to Ronald Reagan. Mitch, there were some questions on education in that poll, too, as well. There were, and one key item we haven't mentioned yet is that people in North Carolina are concerned about schools being on the wrong track. I mean, it was about 55% of those surveyed believe our school system's on the wrong track. Only 26% think it's moving in the right direction. And when the question was asked about whether schools have become more political in recent years, 65% said yes, only 4% said no. That has to be a concern for everyone, that, that people have this idea that the schools are getting more political and that they're on the wrong track. And going back to uh, what Morgan said, since, since my bosses write the poll questions, I'll put in your uh, request that they change government spending to transformational investments. <laughs> Joe, wrap this up in about 30 seconds. Well, you know, Mitch raises a good point about the perspective of people on the quality of education in the state of North Carolina. And interesting, in the crosstabs, people that have kids in school rated uh, their perception of the education system in the state being on the wrong track slightly higher than the population in general. I think there's a lot of focus on education because of what we've come through with COVID-19. We'll see if it becomes an issue for parents with kids. Okay, let's go to the most underreported story of the week, Mitch. Monday marked the 25th anniversary of North Carolina's charter school law, a law passed on a bipartisan basis back when North Carolina had a Republican-controlled state house, Democratic-controlled Senate. They passed that law in 1996. Another anniversary that got a little bit less attention than that, uh, earlier in the month of June, the 10th anniversary of the law that got rid of an artificial cap on charter schools, which has really led to the growth of charter schools in North Carolina. We now have 200 of them in 65 counties. They serve 126,000 students. That's about 8% of the state's public school population. And to show that there is still a demand, there are about 76,000 names on waiting lists for charter schools across North Carolina. Morgan, underreported, my friend. So I'm going to go, you know, we talk a lot about the workforce and we talk a lot about the sort of changes uh, coming out of the pandemic. Well, a prudential survey of this past week of the American worker came out and said it was very fascinating. 53% of workers in America given the opportunity would change jobs. And I don't just mean change jobs, change entire fields. That they're not just looking for a promotion or more money, they wanna get out of what they're doing. And it's been very fascinating to think about. Uh, a lot of these folks have spent the last year in the pandemic and said, and reevaluated what they want out of life and whether this is the right career path. And so you're seeing 
uh, really kind of transformational workforce, a shift taking place. That's probably the largest we've seen since post-World War II. Another uh, study that's interesting. So that they're that's, not wedded to 30 years at the same job. No, that's right. And, and But not even the same, like I said, not even the same. They want to change industry and, right. and, and completely revamp it. But I think one of the fascinating statistics is, too, we talked a lot about small. This has led to a huge increase in small businesses, is that we, we talked about during the pandemic how so many tragically businesses went out of business. The, the stats came out this past week said 130,000 small businesses went out of business is over the pandemic. Okay. But over 200,000 new small businesses were created. A lot of these folks we're talking about are leaving their career and creating a small, some sort of service industry type business. It's going to be interesting in the future. Joe? Credit Suisse released a report on the growth of millionaires in this world. Five million more people became millionaires. Net worth uh, over 56 million millionaires now on the planet. One of the observations that they made in the report was that rising home prices and the value of homes was a contributing factor, but also was the transfer of wealth from the public sector to the private sector as a result of all of these governmental programs during COVID-19. So rest comfortably knowing that over 56 million people in this this world are worth a million dollars or more. Nelson, underreported, please. Semiconductor uh, chip shortage. Uh, that's a known. What's less well known is that the market is really dominated by two companies, uh, TSMC in Taiwan and Samsung in South Korea. The U.S. used to not only be uh, the world leader in chip design, we also manufactured 37 uh, percent of the world's supply. Now it's down to like 10, 11 percent. And that was before we outsourced uh, production to Asia. Turns out that the globalization of the economy comes with risk, and these far-flung supply chains have a cost that we are now paying for. The Senate last week actually voted for the bipartisan U.S. Innovation and Competition Act, 250 U.S. Senate, U.S. Senate, U.S. Uh, 250 billion dollar uh, package that includes 52 billion dollars to to jumpstart a reshoring. Uh, of these uh, chip manufacturing facilities. North Carolina, possibly up toward a person county, has a potential site for one of these facilities. Okay, let's go to the lightning round. Who's up and who's down this week, Mitch? Who's up? Brandy Levy. You might know her as the cursing cheerleader. She won her case <laughs> in the Supreme Court this week. Uh, the, the Supreme Court saying by an eight to one vote that uh, her school could not suspend her from cheerleading for a year because of her profane rant on Snapchat. Uh, who's down? The North Carolina Association of Educators, according to the national numbers from the National Education Association, the teachers union membership dropped 2.4 percent last year. It's now about 17,000 teachers. To put that in perspective, there are almost 94,000 teachers in North Carolina public schools. Morgan. So who's up this week? Medical marijuana users in the state Senate in North Carolina. Republicans uh, and state Senate uh, leader Bill Rabin uh, came out and is pushing for medical marijuana in North Carolina, which is a change from the last several years. Where is that we the first step to legalization? Uh, you know, it, it's some might call it a gateway drug, uh, Mark. Uh, <laughs> it's a, it's a, a gateway law. So we'll see. Uh, who's down this week is U.S. Postmaster General Louis DeJoyes. Folks know he's been under the investigation by the FBI for potential straw donations at the federal level. Well, a big report came out this week and more complaints that alleged that over $150,000 
were given by his employees to Pat McCrory's gubernatorial campaign. And those contributors have never given a contribution prior, had not given a contribution prior or contribution since to anyone. Joe, who's up and who's down this week? Who's up? A potential milestone in professional athletics. Becky Hammond, who's currently an assistant coach at the San Antonio Spurs, is up for the head coaching job of the Portland Trailblazers, would become the first woman coach of a professional sports team in North America. For all of the four major sports uh, franchise uh, organizations, she would be the first female coach. Uh, would be an important milestone, in my opinion. Down, all of these efforts, uh, what I might call gimmicks, to try to encourage people to get vaccines like prizes and money and that sort of stuff, I think we just have to continuously reinforce this message. It's in our best interest to get back to normal for everybody to get a vaccine. Nelson, who's up and who's down this week, my friend? Who's up Africa? Countries like Spain, France, Britain, and China are competing anew for economic uh, opportunities and influence on the continent. And this comes at a time when the Afri African Union in January uh, just started operation of their new uh, African Continental Free Trade Area. That's 1.3 billion people and 3.4 trillion in combined GDP. Uh, who's down? The Iranian government websites. The U.S. confiscated 33 of their government's new sites following continued failure uh, at the nuclear talks. Uh, Iran's new leader has said there will be no compromise or support for um, uh, getting rid of their militias that they finance across the Middle East or their missile development. And their new leader said that he will not have any in direct discussions face to face with President Biden, correct? I think that's quite uh, uh, right, Ibrahim uh, um, Razi. And the person who really controls is the Supreme Leader, uh, Ali Khamenei. I can never Headline next week, Mitch. July 1st arrives with no new state budget, but the House is working on its plan. Headline next week. Uh, campaign finance reports are due uh, June 30. It's a big, big report for Ted Budd, for Pat McCrory and Sherry Beasley on the Democratic side. The last thing I will say is Colt Jackson turns 12 next week. Happy birthday, son. <laughs> Let me ask you this. How important are the first reports? I think for a Trump endorsement of Bud, it's a big deal. Uh, I think to see where McCrory is, and I, I, a lot of people are going to take that. It, listen, polls don't matter. Money matters right now. Okay. Headline, Matt. Yeah, Democrats in Congress pivot on crime issues to avoid it becoming an issue in 2022. Headline next week. Congress goes home for the July 4th break empty-handed. So no deal on infrastructure? It is running into headwinds with the progressives who want to see their $6 trillion package okay. voted on or committed to first. Okay, great job, gents. That's it for us. Thanks for watching. Hope to see you next week on Front Row. Major funding for Front Row is provided by Robert L. Luddy. Additional funding provided by... Funding for the Lightning Round provided by NC Realtors, State Employees Association of North Carolina, Mary Louise and John Burris, Reifenberg Construction, Stefan Gleason, and Jane and Van Hip. A complete list of funders can be found at pbsnc.org slash front row.